And we turn in our Bibles to First uh, Thessalonians chapter 5. And we're going to read from verse 14 again to the end of the uh, chapter, the end of the book, the epistle. First um, Thessalonians chapter 5, and beginning our reading at verse 14. Now we exhort you, brethren, warn them that are unruly, Comfort the feeble-minded, support the weak, be patient toward all men. See that none render evil for evil unto any man, but ever follow that which is good, both among yourselves and to all men. Rejoice evermore, pray without ceasing, and everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Quench not the spirit, despise not prophesyings, Prove all things, hold fast that which is good, abstain from all appearance of evil, and the very God of peace sanctify you wholly. And I pray, God, your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless unto the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Faithful is he that calleth you, who also will do it. Brethren, pray for us. Greet all the brethren with an holy kiss. I, char I charge you by the Lord that this epistle be read unto all the holy brethren. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Amen. We know the Lord will again bless the reading of his precious word. Let's unite in a word of prayer. Our loving and our gracious God, we come to thee afresh in our Savior's precious name. We thank thee for these practical exhortations and these uh, indications and warnings that were given in thy word. And we pray that thou wouldst enable us uh, to take heed to the warnings and to uh, be obedient to the commandments. And we pray that our lives may be brought into conformity with what the word of God has to say to our souls today. Be with us now. Shut us in with thyself. For it's in Jesus' precious name that we ask these things. Amen. Amen. Now, the, the um, last few verses of the epistle are what we want to consider today, verses 25 there to uh, 28. Sometimes maybe we can skim over uh, the verses, maybe at the end or the start of an epistle. We take them really as a kind of formality, like the uh, yours sincerely or yours faithfully that we would put at the end of a a letter, and maybe we'd count them as no consequence. But you know, the Bible says that all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. And there are hard parts of the Bible. We recognize that even uh, when the Lord Jesus was upon this earth, that um, even his own sayings, uh, there were many that the apostles and the disciples could not understand. We remember how the Lord had to upbraid them at times and say, O fools, and slow of heart to understand and believe the Scriptures. And many times they just couldn't understand. We look into the uh, parts of the Bible, the genealogies. We look maybe at the prophetic passages. We look at the end of the book of Ezekiel, other passages of the Word of God, and we would say that they're hard to understand. There are things that are hard to take in. 
and we uh, have to spend time with them and work them out and to see what the Word of God has to say. So there are hard parts of the Word of God, but there are also these formal parts. We think of the introductions to the epistles and the endings of the epistles. But again, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. This is the God-breathed Word of God. And so we shouldn't dismiss the words at the end of this epistle. We should uh, value what he says because oftentimes these words, while they're not going to um, give us anything new, the uh, uh, ends of epistles never really give us any new doctrine or something that is fresh. But what they do sometimes is that they give us insight into God's people or into the mind of the apostle. Uh, into some, something of how they are to live their lives. And this is what happens in this portion of Scripture. It does give us an insight into the way that Paul expected Christians to live. And so it is very valuable to us. And I want you to see that there are really four things that Paul says to the believers at the end of this epistle. And those four things are things that he uh, says or uh, believes to be important in their lives. Four things that they should have true of themselves. And I want us just to look at the four things very simply in this uh, meeting this morning. And the first thing that was to be true was that they were to remember the apostle in prayer. Look at verse uh, 25. He says, brethren, pray for us. Now, there's a simple exhortation. There's something that's not hard to be understand. There's a simplicity. There's actually an emotional, uh, it's emotionally understated here because the apostle really feels a deep need for them to pray for him. You uh, can see something of the vehemence, really, that he believed this when you look at Romans chapter 15 and verse 30, where he says, Now I beseech you, brethren, for the Lord Jesus Christ's sake and for the love of the Spirit, that you strive together with me in your prayers to God for me. So he uh, states it more directly and more emotionally in that portion of Scripture. But I want you to see that there is a purpose that Paul saw here. He saw that he needed pray. Brethren, pray for us. And he knew that he needed the prayers of God's people. And you can see that Paul saw the prayer was important. He knew that anything that he would do or any work that he was going to be involved in for the Lord, as he went out preaching the word, as he went through the world proclaiming the word of God, he knew the truth of the words of the Lord Jesus, that without me ye can do nothing. And he could preach in his own strength. And he could go in his own strength. And he could enter into places in his own strength. And he could preach the word and preach the truth. But it wouldn't have any effect unless it was blessed of Almighty God from on high. And he knew that if there was going to be a picture that was going to make a difference for eternity, or if his effort and his work was going to make a difference in the lives of people, he had to do this in the strength and power of God. And that hasn't changed. That's not the, any different in this day and generation. 
We can preach the word. We can be orthodox and straight up and down and say what the word of God has to say. But we need the power of God. We need the Holy Ghost power to come upon us. And how do we get that? Well, Paul says here, brethren, pray for us. He knows that it's through prayer that this will be achieved. It's through asking. It's through calling upon God. Now, there are those who would uh, get caught up with the doctrine of the sovereignty of God and would almost seek to believe and say that because God is sovereign, that prayer is not going to make any difference. But that could not be further from the truth. Prayer does actually change things. It is important to pray for men and women because God answers prayer. And if we don't pray, then we can't expect any blessing. The old saying is, little prayer, little blessing. Much prayer, much blessing. And we need much prayer. No prayer, no blessing. We need much prayer in these days. And Paul knew that he needed the prayers of these people because uh, of the work that he was in. Prayer changes things that souls might be saved. But here he is praying for himself and he is really uh, highlighting the fact that the leaders in God's word work, those that are in the front line, they particularly need prayer. You uh, realize that Satan is against us, that Satan is working to bring down the work of God. And Paul knew that he needed the prayers of God's people And I need your prayers, and the elders need your prayers, and the committee need your prayers, and we all need to pray together that we might see the work of God go forward. John MacArthur quotes from an old Presbyterian pastor from the 1800s. His name was Gardner Spring, and he wrote a book, The Power in the Pulpit. And this is what he said. Oh, it is at a fearful expense that ministers are ever allowed to enter into the pulpit without being preceded, accompanied, and followed by the earnest prayers of the churches. It is no marvel that the pulpit is so powerless and ministers so often disheartened when there are so few to hold their hands. The consequence of neglecting this duty is seen and felt in, their spirit, in the spiritual detention of the churches, and it will be seen and felt in the everlasting perdition of men, while the consequence of regarding it would be the ingathering of multitudes into the kingdom of God and new glories to the lamb that was slain. And this old man, this Presbyterian minister way back in the 1800s, he knew that it was vital that God's people come and hold up the hands of the preacher in prayer, that there's prayer before the meeting, that there's prayer during the meeting, that there's prayer after the meeting. Are we doing that? Are we seeking God on behalf? When you came here today, did you pray that God would bless in the meeting? Were you praying beforehand that God would bless? Are you praying now that God will speak through his word? Will you pray afterwards that God in his mercy will use that word to the extension of his kingdom? We need to pray for the leaders in God's God's work. What do we pray for? Well, we pray for a right word. We need a word from God. As we speak here, we need a word that comes from God. In Romans 15 and 18, Paul said, For I will not dare to speak any of those things which Christ hath not wrought in me. In other words, he, was, he said, I'm not going to speak anything 
that the Lord hasn't given me, that the Lord hasn't wrought in me. And that's the deep need of the pulpit. There's no uh, point in pulpit ornaments. There's no point in just oratory. There needs to be a message from God. So when you come, will you pray that God will give them, and many of you do pray, I know that there's a regular prayer in the prayer meeting, but pray that God will give the minister the message from the Lord. We need the right word. But then we need the right strength and the right power. We need the power of God. We need ability. We need help. We need the uh, unction from God to make known the word. Peter, the apostle Peter, writing in the first epistle, chapter 4 and verse 11, he said, If any man speak, let him speak as the oracles of God. If any man minister, let him do it as of the ability which God giveth, that God in all things may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom be praise and dominion forever and ever. Amen. And we think of the many demands and the many difficulties that there are in the work, but we need the help of God. So pray for that. Pray that we might have the right power, the right strength. And then we need right discernment. We need to be able to operate according to the will of God. We need to know what God would have us to do and that direct us in the direction that we need to, to go. In Hebrews 13, verses 20 and 21, says, Now the God of peace, that brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus Christ, that great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant, make you perfect in every good work to do his will. And that's what we want to do. We need discernment to be able to do the will of God. So pray for right words, Pray for right power. Pray for right discernment as we seek to make known the word of God today. So we notice here that Paul says, remember us in prayer. But then he says something else to these people. He says, recognize one another as a family. Look at verse 26. He says, greet all the brethren with an holy kiss. Now, of course, this is something that maybe would make the teenagers giggle a little bit. Uh, it's a, a thought maybe that we, uh, is a little bit foreign to us uh, in our culture, although it's coming in, I suppose, in many ways. But, of course, this wasn't um, a, an erotic kiss or a romantic kiss. Uh, it was just a kiss on the cheek or a kiss of greeting. And in those days, as in some parts today, People will greet one another like that. Uh, they will greet one another with a hug or with a kiss on the cheek. Or um, sometimes in some cultures they will actually kiss one another on the lip, lips or on the forehead sometimes or even on the hand. Uh, it do, it's different, uh, different things in different cultures around the world. Uh, he says, Paul says that, it is, uh, that he wants the brethren here greet one another with a holy kiss. And he, really what he's saying here is to greet one another as brethren and sisters. That's really what he's saying. It was common in those days that in the family, particularly, you would greet one another with a kiss. When you came in, you'd greet your mother, your father, your brother, your sister with a kiss. And that's really the thought here that is behind this. He's saying you are brethren and sisters. 
That's really what he's getting at behind this. This is the principle. You are brethren and sisters. And he says, not only is this to be worked out in your mind as a theory, but it is to be worked out in practice and how you react to one another and how, what you do to one another. And he is using the example here of the kiss as something that was done in the family and we are to be, uh, count one another as part of the family. Now, men and women, do we count those who are here, the members of this church, as part of our family? The women here, do you count them as your mother, your sister, your, uh, your daughter, whatever your age may be, it might be different. Do we look upon each one like that? Uh, the men here, do you look upon them as your father, your grandfather, your brother, your, uh, your uh, child, or whatever it is, depending on your age? What, what, what way do you look at the brethren and sisters here in the church? He says that we are to count one another as family. And the challenge here wasn't really when he was talking here, the challenge in the culture that he was talking in here wasn't uh, the fact that this was anything unusual. Uh, it wasn't the, the thought of Ramah. In, in the church, uh, in church history, in many ways this had to be dispensed with because it was abused. And you can imagine how it was abused. Uh, and that's the reason why it uh, went out of fashion in the church uh, because of abuses that took place. But it wasn't that that was the problem in the days of Paul. It was the fact that a master or a mistress, a mistress had to treat her slave, her, her uh, maid, as a brother, as a sister in the Lord Jesus Christ. That was the problem. And you can see how radical this is, that we are all one in the Lord Jesus Christ. There was neither Jew nor Gentile. There was, uh, there was uh, neither bond or free. But all were one in the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's the mark of a child of God. We read in the book of 1 John in the epistles, how that one of the marks of the child of God is that we love one another. And that love is to be manifested in all that we do, in how we react, in the way that we treat one another, in the way that we uh, react to one another, the way that we help one another. We are to be brethren and sisters in the Lord Jesus Christ. So we are to hear recognize one another as family. A third thing that he says that they were to do in verse 27 is read this epistle. Look at verse 27. He says, I charge you by the Lord that this epistle be read unto all the holy brethren. Now, I want you to see the force of what Paul is saying here. He's telling them to read the epistle. He's telling them to read this because it is the word of God. But there is a force to what he said that we might not get. He says, I charge you. And you'll notice that he changes. Before this, he's been speaking about we. We uh, uh, say this or we do this. 
He does in verse 23 as well, I pray you. But here, he changes from the we that had been in the rest of the epistle, and he says, I charge you. Now, he's putting his own stamp upon this. He says, I charge you. And the word I charge, the word charge there in the original, it's used three times, the word, the Greek word that is used here. It is first used in Mark 5 and 7, where a demon implores the Lord uh, that, um, the Lord, that Jesus, uh, by God, uh, that he be not tormented. So here is uh, uh, one who is imploring the Lord. Again, the, in Acts 19 and verse 13, there's the casting out of evil spirits uh, that was attempted in the name of the Lord Jesus. And it, it means here, the word means really an oath. And we, really what Paul is saying, I bind you by an oath. I bind you, I implore you by an oath that you read this epistle. And so there's a force about this. This is not just something that's to be skipped over, but this is something that he really wants to get across. Not only have we the force of this, but the features of it. What are we to do? Well, we're to read these, to read the letter in the church. Now, the letter was to be read aloud because there were many people who were illiterate who couldn't read. And therefore, in order to get across to everybody, that nobody is missed out, that everybody is able to hear the word of God. These are the inspired, infallible words of God. Now, remember that up to this time, that uh, these people didn't really have much of the word of God. They might have had parts of the Old Testament. But this is, uh, as we say, Paul's, probably his first epistle that he has written. So he doesn't ha- they don't have the other parts of the New Testament. They really have nothing. They have had Paul. He's been with them. And they have heard his words as he spoke to them personally. But as far as the word of God, something that's written down, they didn't have it before. But now they have it. And Paul says, I, I implore you, read it. And read it to everybody. Read it to all the churches. Read it to all the holy brethren. Because we need to listen to the word of God. He's underlined the emphasis upon the Word of God. What a treasure we have in the Bible. And I hope that you read it. It was to be read aloud, and we still read the Bible. It's part of the service. It's part of what God has laid down. We read the Scriptures today on a couple of occasions. And we do so because it's part of what God has laid down in His Word. But we also read the Scriptures because we're sanctified. We are changed. We are cleansed by the reading of the Word of God. And as we read the Word of God, there's an effect upon us. And if you neglect the reading of the Word of God, it'll not be long until you're on the path to backsliding. It's one of the um, first indications of backsliding when you start to flag in your reading of the Word of God and when you flag in the place of prayer. But throughout the Bible, God expected His people to read the Word. For example, in Exodus 24, verse 7, the first public reading of God's word happened when God gave the commandments, the law, and they were to read it publicly. It says in Deuteronomy 31, verses 9 to 13, how that they were to take the word of God. They were required at the Feast of Booths uh, to read God's law to the people. 
We think of the days of Ezra. Again, they'd come back to the law, back to the land. And Ezra said, bring the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had commanded to Israel. And then it says, and Ezra the priest brought the law before the congregation, both of men and women and all that could hear with understanding, upon the first day of the seventh month. And he read therein before the street that was before the water gate, from the morning until midday, before the men and the women and those that could understand. And the ears of all the people were attentive unto the book of the law from midday, uh, from morning until midday. The whole, the whole morning, morning would have been daybreak when the sun arose, uh, probably about six o'clock in the morning there. Uh, so you had about six hours. And it says that the people were attentive to the public reading of the word. We need to make sure that we read the word of God. But then not only do we see the force of this and the features of this command, but I want you to see the function of it. Why are we to read the word? Well, we've already indicated that a little bit. But when the uh, leaders in the church of Thessalonica read this letter, um, anyone who was flirting with immorality or had refused to work they were going to hear what the Word of God was going to say, and they were going to be put to right. It was going to correct them. They were going to be corrected by the Word of God. And of course, the centrality of the Word of God is that we are willing to be corrected by it, that we're willing to give way to what the Word of God has to say, not to listen to what it says and say, oh, that's the theory and I can do what I want. No, we as Protestants Believe in the Word of God. Our authority doesn't come from peep, uh, popes or from councils. It comes from the blessed Word of God. So we need to underline the importance of the Word of God. So that's the third thing. We are to read the Scriptures. But then there's a fourth thing here. Receive the Lord's blessing. Look at verses uh, 26 to our verses 27 and 28, 28 in particular. He says, The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Amen. And the last sentence there in the book is, is a benediction. It's a prayer wish. He prays for the grace of God to be upon these Thessalonians. It's a simple uh, sentence here, but it speaks of grace really is everything that God gives. Grace is God's favor at Christ's expense. But it encapsulates all of the blessings that Paul wanted for these people. God, uh, of course, gives grace to every man. We know that he causes the sun, maketh the sun to shine upon the just and upon the unjust. There are many blessings that God gives to everybody. But there are special blessings that he can bestow upon his people. He can draw near to his people. He can give gifts to his people. What are the gifts? Well, peace, joy, love, assurance of salvation, power to do what is right. So many things that God can give to his people. And we want those things to be yours. We want, I want those things to be yours. And the, the, the God of heaven wants those things to be yours. And he wants you to be blessed today. 
Oh, we don't need to realize that we are going to go through trials. We will go through trials. We will go through difficulties. But at the end of the day, God wants the blessing of eternal life. He wants love and joy and peace and long-suffering and gentleness and meekness and goodness and temperance and all the other parts of the fruit of the Spirit. He wants all those things to be yours. He wants you to have power. He wants you to have blessing. God wants grace to be given to you in your life. He's, he's, it's not that the Lord wants you to be bound up and that uh, your life is going to be a misery and it's going to be hemmed up in so many ways. No, God wants you to have blessing. And as we walk with him, we realize that as we conform to his will and as we do what he wants to do, then there is blessing. There is blessing that God gives to his people. And we want that for each one of us. And God wants that for each one of you. But I think about these commands, this picture that Paul gives at the end of the epistle. And it reminds us really of a sweet family relationship. It's a, a, a sweet family atmosphere. Greet one another with a holy kiss. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be upon you. And all the ingredients in the passage here are that all hatred and all unresolved conflict and all these things, they need to be settled. And there needs to be doing away with everything of pride and selfishness. And there needs to be a conformity to the word of God. And you know when there is that, when there is a family atmosphere where everybody is singing off the same hymn sheet, as it were, and going in the same direction and where there's no conflict, my, that brings a wonderful blessing in itself. And that's what Paul wants. There are four basic ingredients. Prayer, brotherly love, submission to the Scriptures, and a focus on grace. Those are the four elements that go together to make a family atmosphere, a loving atmosphere in the church. Oh, that God might give us that today. And if you're not saved you can't have it without the Savior, because it says that all of these things, the grace, you notice, of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's not just grace. It's the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Christ is central to this. You can't divorce any of this from Christ. You can have a form of goodwill, and you can have blessings. We, we are speaking about the common grace that God gives, and he does give uh, peace, and he gives maybe family relationship in some families and so on, these blessings. But this uh, spiritual family relationship is only found through the Lord Jesus Christ. And may you trust him today and find him as your Savior and your Lord. May God write his word upon our hearts for his name's sake. Let's just bow in the word of prayer. Our loving God and our gracious Father in heaven, we thank thee for thy precious word to our hearts today. We thank thee for these four ingredients of uh, prayer and of brotherly kindness and of uh, the, the uh, reading of the scriptures and the focus on grace and we pray, Lord, that those things will be true of us in all of our lives. We might know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Bless us now, we'd ask of thee, 
pour out thy Spirit upon us, and we pray that thy hand would be upon us, uh, each one, as we contemplate thy word. For it's in Jesus' precious name I would ask these things. Amen. Perhaps we could sing a few verses of the last hymn there, 555. When Israel out of bondage came, the sea before them lay, the Lord reached down his mighty hand and rolled the sea away. And forward still, and that's what we want in these days. We'll sing the first two verses of the hymn and we'll stand as we sing. gracious Father, we pray that we might press forward in the incoming days. And Lord, we recognize we can only go forward along the path that God would open for us. And we pray that thou wouldst open up the path and direct our steps and be with us in these days. And may we rest in thy grace, for it's in Jesus' precious name that we'd ask these things. Amen.